I have found that those who are in like the American New Age movement, one of the things you have to constantly do is go back to reality. Welcome, everybody, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as sometimes, by my co-host, Dave Can't Stop, Won't Stop, Van Bickle. How you doing, Dave? I'm okay. Isn't that sad that we say that now, joined sometimes? I know. I know. It's so sad. It's but I so feel, sad. I do feel like that season is coming to an end. Like, this can't last forever. We'll, we'll, we'll be together once again. <laughs> I hope so because I long, I long yeah. to be together. Yeah. It, where are you? Where are you coming from right now? Where are you at? I'm in Dallas, so I'm only four hours north of you, which is kind of sad. Um, Amber has finished her her treatment here in Dallas, but she is just so sick. So um, I'm just waiting for the day when she says, "Okay, I'm ready to go back to Pittsburgh, and we're going to fly back, and you know, life will go back to some some kind of normalcy." Just at, le- at least I'm not splitting between two cities, so. So that should happen this yeah. week. Yeah. Yeah. And right now I'm in uh I have today is a 14-hour day at work for me. Gosh. And uh <laughs> and it's kind of nuts. I have uh left all of my equipment at home to record the show. Oh. Silly me. So that's why our audio is going to be a little bit different, uh not our pristine audio of our fancy setups, but um I just got out of a really fascinating meeting with a woman who said you know, I, I'm Christian. I'm thinking about being Catholic, but I'm a liberal. Yeah. And I loved the conversation where people, you know, from those perspectives and, and understanding what is how, how to work the gospel into those interesting conversations. Right. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, the Catholic Church has more to offer that person than than any other faith. Right. I mean, like well understood Catholic social teaching can speak to so many places that need to be spoken to on both sides of the aisle, you know? Yeah. And you find that a lot of people who say things like that mean that they are right. They have a spiritual life and they're drawn to Christian spirituality, but they maybe struggle with the assertion of truth without love kind right. of stuff. Right. You know, cause they've seen instances of, Christians who are jerks to outsiders and instead of evangelizing them and witnessing to them, their main thing is by demonstrating how their list of beliefs are incorrect and they're wrong and get out of here. Yeah. And um, it, it always breaks my heart because I see how I see the effects of that approach. Right. And the funny thing is with people who feel that way, I say, you know, like temperamentally, People who tend to identify as liberal tend to care more about spirituality and inclusiveness. And people who are conservative tend to value teaching and truth and doctrine. Right. And so if you find that certain things gravitate to the left or to the right, and depending on your thing, you'll you'll easily dismiss them as not being Christian when in fact you have to have both. You have to have the spiritual life and the inclusivity as well as this is the truth. The same Jesus who ate with tax collectors and prostitutes is the same Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have to stop divorcing this right. stuff. And she was like, huh, okay. So, Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So I've, I've told you before about my friend Tristan who um, 
she was in Antifa and all that. I mean, she's as liberal as anyone ever I've ever met. Um, but you know, for her, it was so important to just encounter the Jesus of the gospels. And like, it took years for her to disassociate the gospel message from any political socioeconomic baggage, you know? And that was what Mm -hmm. did it is finally she could just, just meet Jesus, the man, right? The man, God, and, and, and encounter him alone without all the things that we've added into it. Um, uh, and I mean the bad things that we've added into it. And, th- and then that gave her the foundation to be able to accept a lot of other, you know, teachings that, that, that she at first saw as, um, I don't know, she saw it as development more in, in, in a negative way, you know, so. And I think this segues right into our topic for today. Yeah, I want to kick we got us an off awesome email. email from Michelle. Yeah. yeah, so Michelle writes in, she says, hi guys, thanks for always put on su- putting on such a great podcast. Thanks, Michelle. I love listening to it and getting new strategies of handling situations. My question for you is advice on how to tackle new age mentalities. I've run into more self-proclaimed witches, nature worshiping, Native American card reading. I've tried God and a quote, I've tried God and it wasn't for me, unquote, women in the past six months than ever before. Many embrace the need for spirituality, acknowledge the supernatural aspect of life, etc., but have no fear or concept as to why this direction isn't the right one. Outside of attempting to ask questions that would spark curiosity in God again for them, uh, she puts in in, uh, parentheses, as warning them of doors that open through what they are doing, shuts off their ears to anything I have to say, I'm a little at a loss for how to proceed. Many don't mind or care that I'm Catholic as they are open to whatever works for, for others as long as I don't try to play the Catholic ultimate truth card. Any advice or strategy you've had with success in this corner? Michelle. Great, great question, Michelle. You know, I mean, I think, I don't know. It depends on where you are in the country. Um, but even if you aren't in one of these places, new age spirituality, new age philosophy is booming like crazy it is booming like crazy and um that that is very common right in and cultures that accept atheism more and more um even if it's just a practical atheism you're going to see new age um and occult uh spiritualities just grow by leaps and bounds so i think this is a this is a great question um i i would agree with you that i'm encountering people more and more who identify with some most of them aren't identifying as Wiccans right now, but they are identifying with some sort of New Age mentality or New Age philosophy, and that includes even the Eastern religions. We're seeing a massive, a massive move, especially in corporate America, um, of Eastern religions into there. Buddhism, you know, uh, transcendental meditation, right? This is this is stuff that you're getting from guys in suits now, right? Making you know six figures a year and everything like that. So it is important to be able to talk about this kind of stuff. Gomer, are you seeing any of this? Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. seeing this all over the place in military bases. Oh, yeah. That's um, a big place, right? In prisons, Wiccanism, um, pretty much anything that ratifies the desires of the flesh is always going to be popular. Right. But in, like you said, in a market of – in a marketplace where atheism is king – uh, or materialism is king or whatever, where Christianity has been dethroned, as it were, you're going to find the human need for spirituality. And it doesn't surprise me that that spirituality is something that doesn't lay claim, you know, kind of what we were talking about in the beginning of the show. It doesn't lay claim, it doesn't make truth claims on me. 
Right. It just suits my my temperament or my mood um, in a lot of ways. And so there but humans need spiritual life. We need an interior life. We need to go deep. And so it's funny, like you have atheists like Sam Harris, who writes a spirituality for atheists or for non-religious right. people or whatever his book title was called. Like they constantly have to find spiritual depth. Because without it, there is no depth because human beings need to live for meaning. Right. And if you refuse to discover your meaning, meaning you refuse to receive your meaning or purpose given to you by God, you invent meaning. Right. Right. Like human beings need meaning. We cannot live a purposeless, meaninglessness uh, existence, meaningless existence. And so so one, there is uh, the subtle knocking on the door of the heart, even in all this stuff. Um, even in nature worship of the God that stands behind all of creation, because it shows that they have a spiritual hunger, though they are eating things that do not satisfy. Right. Um, That would be where I would first start off um, because I, I actually do have some experience working with what they would call themselves neo-pagans. I don't know where, where, where do you, what are your thoughts? What do you think? Yeah. So, so the neo-pagans, because you're working with men, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Wiccanism, uh, uh, for the most part, if you're encountering women who are Wiccans, um, it it is completely entirely wrapped up with uh, like a feminist ideology and a radical mm. feminist ideology, and it's 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 easy to kind of sympathize because you know we had the whole like Me Too movement and the really awful stories that came out with that and everything and the rape and all that kind of stuff. And so it would be very natural for women to want to empower themselves. And so Wiccanism, while while they would say like in in the in the overarching books and philosophies of Wiccanism, it's more about nature worship. Um, it is entirely wrapped up with feminist spirituality, and in, in a radicalized way, meaning that like literally they in in many cases would not think that there's any need for men, you know, at all. And so I would. I would first distinguish, like, find out where they are on that spectrum, right? Is it is this more of a political philosophical movement or is this literally a, a spiritual movement that they're espousing, right? Um, is this more about female empowerment or is this is this actually about like like Druidism or like like what you said, neo-paganism or something like that, where they're worshiping trees and, uh, you know, celebrating Samhain or something like that, right? You know, these kind of things, because it would be different how you approach those two right um and i think that for the most part the people who i've encountered who are wiccans right that they've 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 really espoused like the feminist side of this and i i have had a little bit of success with first just staying away from any judgment on what they say at all right not like building that relationship building that trust but then introducing them to authentic the authentic feminist spirituality of the catholic church because it is there and it is strong in our theology like it is amazing right so you know i have a like an obsession with female mystics so that has like you know i i kind of have this fascination there anyways and bringing them into the idea of like true female empowerment as espoused by Pope John Paul II and and the stalwart teaching of the church um, can be something that slowly, slowly starts to peel away at the way that they see the world, right? Okay, so that would be the political side. The New Age side where... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, 
No, say. No, I was just going to say, in terms of strategy, like with so many things, whenever you're evangelizing someone, you can never accept a label in place of a story. Right. And um, as Sherry Waddell said. Right. And so it always revolves. I mean, like, in a way, you can say all evangelization is getting to the core of the human person. And once they're showing them Christ that yearn, you know, that yearns to be with them. Yeah. And so to get to the core of the human person involves you asking them questions and then listening. And I know that people might grow tired of hearing this, but there, like Dave said, there are many avenues into, you know, witches, nature worship, Native American card reading, um, all of that stuff that there are many different ways that people go into that lifestyle or lifestyles, plural or religions or philosophies of life and different levels of commitment that they have to it. And so my thing for you is through the questions, you can find out the reasoning right, why. Right. Um, I'll never forget talking with someone who was a nature worshiper, <laughs> a neo-pagan nature worshiper, because they were an environmentalist. And they yeah, read, uh, what was that book called? The Celestine Prophecies, yeah. the Clandestine Prophecies. Yeah. It was really popular in the 90s, and the whole idea was like uh, uh, Mother Nature was going to revolt against, you know, yeah. industrialization and all this stuff. It was an, a, a, a faux Native American spirituality, you know. But the idea of understanding a theology of God, the creator and creation, was for them a stepping stone back into the life of the church, right? Sure. So like what Dave was saying, like know why they're in the particular thing that they're in and how deep they are is a key, a huge key component to that. Right. So, and I guess that I should step back and say, I would usually divide people that you're describing into three categories. The first would be the political philosophical movement. The second would be, you know, actual, actual pagans, right? That they're worshiping, you know, pagan gods. Okay. And then, and then the, another would be, People who have gotten into this through, usually it's through self-help books, right? Yeah. Uh, things that they think are self-help, but they usually practice a syncretism, right? It's usually Christians who are half involved. And each of yep. these three people, it would be radically different how you would approach it because, um, you know, the, the philosophical side, you know, they're going to try to deconstruct the patriarchy or, or do whatever they do, right? And and you have to kind of like like kind of take the the message away from that, right? And say like, well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Jesus. Uh, the 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 in the middle, you know, the people who are just actually you know practicing paganism. We have to remember that those people are spiritually entwined there, right? I mean, that's something that chains need to be broken, right? Uh, not just through proclaiming the truth, but also through prayer, and and that they're they are coming you know into contact with really dangerous things. And then those who practice a syncretism, it usually, which most are, right? Most of these people, like you said, they're fine yeah. with you being Catholic. They have no issue with that because at, at heart they're they're pantheists, right? They're they're syncretists, and they and they're you know going to hedge their bets with whatever they can. So I have found that those who are in like the American New Age movement, one of the things you have to constantly do is go back to reality. Okay, because the one of the one of the major principles of of the New Age movement, as far as America goes, right? And and I'm talking about like people like Eckhart Tolle, the book The Secret, even like things like Scientology and stuff like this, right? You have to continually bring them back to reality into what has this actually done, because so much of it uh, is founded on this philosophy of well, something can be real for you, but not real for me. Right. Something can be true for you, but not true for me. 
And so, um, in fact, like people who really espouse like The Secret and and some of these other books, right, they might even say, I don't want you to tell me any bad news because I don't want to hear about it. I don't want anything real like that. I don't want anything to become real in my life. And so you have to constantly bring them back to reality and say, well, well, no, this is real, right? It is actually happening. This is the truth. That's what's happened. And, and bring them back to that because it's very easy for them to get caught up in kind of a I don't want to I don't want to label them, but like kind of a fairy tale land where, yeah, you don't want to accept anything that's that's negative or whatever it is. Uh, you only want to accept love and light, or, you know, or, which are their key phrases. Right. Um, so bringing them back to what change has it actually made in their life can really help to open up a lot of the right questions and the story that you need to hear. One strategy with talking with people who come from a neo-pagan witchcraft environment outside of, you know, view him as a person, not as a project, et cetera, et cetera. One strategy is to, to just bluntly ask them, why do they engage in, like, let's just take one of them of, of nature worship. What is it about nature that you're worshiping? Right. And like you said, love and life and light and all that stuff. When you feel like it's time to be a little bit more blunt, you don't have to go after the you're opening satanic doors with your witchcraft right. and stuff. Right. But just say, wh- why does a tree give you more of a sense of life than a human person does? Right. <laughs> like what I mean, like really what when you start to push the nature worship card for most people, they worship the idea of what, what could be called the Gaia principle. Right. The life force, mother earth energy behind things. Sure. And one of the things that like, obviously, because if you, you know, like, do you use anything made of wood? Well, then you've killed that tree. Like you don't really, (laughs) you don't worship the tree because you think the tree is God over you. Right. You're trying to get in touch with a power, but if that power is non-personal and non-rational, right. If that, if that power isn't free, right? Then what's the point? It's less powerful than you, right? I love this line from Blaise Pascal in his Pensee where he says, you know, a, 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 a wisp of air, a, a, a tiny fragment can kill a man, but all of the, you know, all these powers present in the universe can kill a human being, right? Like a little bit of water, right? Can drown a man, you know, all this stuff, an inner rock can hit him in the head and he can die. And he said, but all of man is more dignified because of our spiritual nature than all the universe, which is why people like St. Augustine would say it's, it would be better for all the universe to stop existing than for one person to commit one mortal sin because that's an everlasting, you know, soul to damnation, right? And so when you start to put it in this perspective, right, you get into the wisdom literature of like, why do we worship dumb rocks that cannot speak to us? What is it in man that drives us to worship things rather than the creator, Right. And that's St. Paul in Romans chapter one. That's the book of wisdom, Um, especially I believe it's chapters eight and nine, where it's like, you know, you take one rock, you build the house, you take the other rock and you build your God and you worship it. Like, what are we really getting at when we're getting at this neo-pagan resurgence? And a lot of it is a worship of life, wherein, you know, it's that Nietzschean impulse where he said, like, I reject Christianity because – They've replaced the erotic love with agape love. They've turned the zeal of life into morality, right? A moralism. And I want to recapture that zeal of life. But then you show them Christ and you show them the apostles and you show them the female mystics who lived radical lives. 
but ones that were bound to the God of the universe. I always struggle with when I'm talking with the the men in prison who are legit polytheists. Yeah. And I'm like, why, why would you worship nature? Like you're greater than nature because you're rational. Nature doesn't understand itself. You know, and there's really like, yeah, you know, I mean, like they're, they're really worshiping a life force behind it. And I introduce them to that life force whose name is Jesus Christ, but he's greater than not identified with the nature that he created. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of this, you know, a lot of like new, new age movement in America is related to like transcendentalism, like the overlord. Right. And they and they just don't know what they're worshiping. It's almost like the story of Paul when he says, "You even have an idol to an unknown god." Well, let me tell you who this god is, right? Like, if <laughs> if, if they could just take another step, you know, they're they're a, a step away. Uh, the last thing, the last suggestion I would say is this, and and I have found this to be the most game changing step as far as evangelizing those in the new age. Okay, they very commonly. Um, will use the word love all the time, right? It's all about love. Yeah. It's just about yeah. love. It's about this. It's about that. And if you can in many different ways try to frame, define, and shape what they think about love, it will have a big effect. And, and here's why I'm saying that. They have no clue what they're talking about when they talk about love. For the most part, it, it means acceptance. It means non-judgmentalism. It means um, – uh, kind of a, it, it would mean a freedom of expression, right? That that would be what, the way you love, okay? Um, and if you can bring that down to earth and say, well, no, love is a real thing. It's it's shown through concrete, real actions of dying to oneself and 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 wanting the good of another, and show them examples of real love, like like things like Mother Teresa of Calcutta, uh, the Little Sisters of the Poor, all these all these real concrete examples that we can see in the works of mercy, it will make a big difference because they'll start to realize how how short their definition of love falls. And from that point, it's just another small step to say, well, and and truly love even doesn't isn't even this. Love is the cross, right? Love is Jesus on the cross for us. Um, and 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 their definitions will start to fall short and they won't be able to have a comprehensive worldview that explains everything that they need to explain, right? And so f- trying really hard to yourself learn what you mean by charity, by love, and show it in concrete, real situations um, and show them what mercy means, those kinds of things, it will it will have a huge effect on them because like love, light, and life, right? Those are the three words that are common in all of the New Age movement. I'm just love. It's just love and light for me. It's just love and light. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm harnessing the life. I'm 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 pushing out the death, right? Uh, having them define those things can really, really help your cause, um, because in all honesty, paganism, the New Age movement, occultism is an inch deep and a, and a mile wide, right? I mean, it, it, it can it can take so many hundreds of thousands of different forms. Very few of them have a comprehensive life philosophy that they can explain that backs it up and that answers all the big questions of the universe. Do you know who's really big into transcendental meditation? Who? Jerry Seinfeld. Is he? Uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. 
I one time watched him give a talk at a transcendental meditation conference. Yeah. And I didn't know what I was watching. I was watching like uh, comedians in cars getting coffee. Yeah, yeah. And I was on YouTube and I started to watch this video and he kept saying, those of us involved in TM. And he said TM yeah. dozens and dozens of times. And then he went into it and I was like, oh, transcendental meditation. I should probably figure out what that means exactly. Yeah. But, um, I will say my last piece of strategy concerns you and your own heart, which is, uh, have you studied Pope John Paul II's theology of the body? And I say that because, or Pope Francis's theology of creation, right? Laudato Si. Many people react to uh, an engagement with nature worship or the feminine worship. They engage in those things because they think that Christianity views the body with absolute disgust. And the reason why is a distorted, you know, maybe a distorted Augustinianism at its core. And it reminds me of the rise of St. Thomas Aquinas's philosophy in the Middle Ages was happening at a time when, you know, Aristotle was replacing Plato as kind of the Greek noble pagan philosophy at, at the core. But also in the, the Holy Roman Empire, there was this spirit known as the Hohenstaufen spirit. And Thomas Aquinas was related to the Holy Roman Emperor. He, the Hohenstaufen spirit was like, let's get back to the goodness of nature itself, not just nature as it points to God. Like, does nature have its own goodness? And an Aristotelian perspective fit in nicely, whereas a Platonic perspective Maybe not so much. The, for Plato, the spiritual world was the real world, the world of ideas, the divine mind. And you can see a bridge with Christianity with that. But the, the radical nature of Pope uh, John Paul II affirming the theology of the body, calling it a theology of the body, is a radical affirmation of creation as right. told to us in Genesis, right? Like the Greek problem in philosophy as it reconciled with Christianity was its negative view towards creation. And that's what Judaism as a revealed religion corrected in Greek philosophy. And so immersing yourself in something like Pope John Paul II's theology of the body really focuses our theology on creation. Cause like, you know, the, the verse that spurred him on was Romans chapter eight, where St. Paul says we await the redemption of our body, not the redemption of our souls, our spirits, our lives, our hearts, but our bodies. He was very specific about that. And then it's within Romans 8 that it talks about all of creation is groaning in the futility that it was subjected to until it awaits the future revelation of us. And so the creation and its fulfillment is tied to the redemption of the human body as revealed in Christ Jesus, as prefigured in the resurrection glorified body of Jesus. And so Pope John Paul II was so enamored with this, he took a theology of creation and then stared at the incarnation and said, wow, written in the language of the body is even future eschatology. It's this whole thing. It's the beginning, middle, and end. Right. And so I think as Christians, sometimes we disparage the body or we view it with negativity and then that spills over into creation. Therefore, you know, the idea of having too much fun is unchristian. We kind of we, we can have a tendency to go puritanical or uh, angelism. Right. And right. that's not the Christian way. Right? And that's what that Hohenstaufen spirit that was kind of alive at 
um, St. Thomas Aquinas's time, that's one of the reasons why his philosophy took such root in Germanic societies in the 1200s was because there's this whole thing of like, yeah, I want to love the thing for the sake of God, but also God need this thing good in itself. And you have Thomas Aquinas saying, yeah, it's participation in God's existence means it is good that it exists. And um, I think that can sometimes get lost when we come into creation, especially people have the desire for environmentalism and all of a sudden they get swept up in the spirituality of environmentalism and then it flings them headlong into nature worship, which is just a bad scene overall. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, Michelle, this was an awesome question and, um, you know, push on. Like God's obviously putting these people in your path. Um, don't forget, like, you know, the evil one can get involved and you want to pray that God would break those chains and and that you'll be there to you know, to try and proclaim that truth. I'd also recommend you uh, take a look at the church document, Jesus Christ, Bearer of the Water of Life. Um, it is a document on the New Age movement, and it is excellent. I don't, I don't know exactly who uh, was the whole council that did it, but um, it is a, an excellent way to understand from the church's point of view uh, the New Age, and they did a, they did a very good job of understanding it from their perspective as well. So Jesus Christ, bearer of the water of life. Beautiful. Yeah. Alrighty, y'all, when we come back, uh, we're going to hear a brief message from Ascension, but then we're going to give you some practical takeaways from today's um, little spiel. I uh, just want to remind you, if you have a question, send it into EKSB at ascensionpress.com. It'll shoot over to both me and Dave, and we can review it possibly in an upcoming show. All right, be right back. Confirmation prep is so important because it could be the moment where candidates connect deeply to their Catholic faith, even at Jesus Christ himself. But the gap between how it is and how it could be is often wide, especially these days. And parishes and their catechists could use vision, training, and strategy. I'm Colin McIver, an author at Ascension and also youth minister at a parish. We created the Catechist Field Guide to Confirmation to help catechists ace confirmation prep, no matter their skill or experience teaching teens. The Field Guide gives catechists the insights and guidance they need to feel confident as they take on the mission of sharing the faith with their confirmation candidates. The Field Guide contains a crash course in confirmation and understanding of the five stages of effective confirmation prep, classroom management strategies and information about teaching the faith, a deep dive into the art of confirmation, and let's not forget a section on how to use technology to navigate these unprecedented times. Our hope here at Ascension is that this field guide will be an important tool in making confirmation prep more of what it could be, a kickstart to lifelong discipleship for your candidates. To order your copy today, go to ascensionpress.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Every Knee Shall Bow. Thanks, Ascension Press, for sponsoring the show and finding us so attractive, you thought, to produce this show for us. Awesome. <laughs> now, Dave actually has a whole bunch of practical steps here on this specific thing of the New Age. Um, he's written about it. So, Dave, why don't you take this part away? Sure. Number one, I want you to, when you're evangelizing someone in the New Age, think about these things, right? Number one is bring reality to the forefront. Talk about concrete things. What is actually happening in a person's life, what is changing, uh, bring reality to the forefront. Because a lot of times for them, perception is reality. And we have to remember that there is actual reality happening, right? There's something true. 
Number two, remember who's behind a lot of this, right? Uh, that that it could be that they're not understanding you, that they're not, you're not getting through to them because there is actual chains that bind them, right? That uh, our our war is not with flesh and blood, but with you know principalities and powers. So we need to make sure that we're praying, praying, praying for these people. Uh, number three, make sure you for for gosh sakes. Make sure you present Jesus the way he was meant to be presented, okay? I, I wouldn't consider myself an expert at evangelization, but I definitely am never going to present a boring gospel. And I think for a lot of these people, they see Christianity as boring, and they see the New Age movement as exciting and new. So please present Jesus for the dynamic character that he was in the gospels, right? That the Lord and Savior came. Remember those who followed him, it doesn't say that they were bored and tired. It says they were amazed and afraid. A joyful witness is really the best medicine. Most of these people turn to the New Age movement um, to to fulfill some some longing in their heart. And a lot of times they they do it because of broken relationships, because of depression, because of those things. Um, if they can see that Jesus Christ makes a joyful difference in your life, um, that's going to go a long way. Uh, I don't know what number I'm on, four maybe or five. Uh, if they're Christians, remind them that these new, in, new age teachings are not in line with scripture or the church, right? So if they're practicing syncretism, you want to make sure that you are studied up on this and that you know, right? And what you need to do is just continually push them back to the Bible, right? Because Old Testament, New Testament constantly reminds us of the problems with occult and, and, and even new age stuff, although it doesn't use that language. Finally, like I said before, love is shown through real concrete action. Define love for them. Show love to them. Show them what real love is, and they'll see how different it is from uh, what they think it is. So I, I really think if you have all those steps, you know, I've talked with hundreds and hundreds of people, accompanying hundreds and hundreds of people from the New Age movement, from the occult movement, all those things, and these are the things I've seen have really helped along the way. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Dave. Once again, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Gomer, and I'm saying adios. Bye. God bless.